Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And no day is seemingly a bad day for acquisition news in the world of video games in the year 2022. On your screen right now is the logo to the Embracer Group, which in general I think of as a mid-tier acquisition company, really collecting a lot of AA games and doing them well very often. Uh, but they have so many irons in the fire that it's very hard to kind of track as a group. And as we will see in the documentation that they put forward today, they really like that approach. They like to envision themselves as a very separated organization of bodies that otherwise get to decide independently what they are doing in the video game space. And adding to that independent body today is seemingly the entire Western arm of Square Enix, or as the headline goes, Embracer Group enters into an agreement to acquire IDOS, Crystal Dynamics, and Square Enix Montreal amongst, great use of amongst, other assets. And we're going to be looking at this press release because we've got a lot to say on this particular topic, but we're actually going to start with the much more dry version of this release put forward by Square Enix itself in a press release to accompany this news item. And this is called execution of share transfer agreement with change to subsidiaries, divestiture of select overseas studios and IP. It's pretty sexy, right? Corporate documentation often is. Square Enix Holdings Co. Limited today signed a share transfer agreement with Sweden-based Embracer Group AB concerning the divestiture of select overseas studios and IP. The company's primary assets to be divested in the transaction are group subsidiaries such as Crystal Dynamics Inc., IDOS Interactive Corp., and IP such as Tomb Raider, Deus Ex, Thief, and Legacy of Cain. So backing up a step here, we're going to have a lot of corporate speak in this particular document. It's a share transfer agreement because Square Enix Holdings at the top holds shares in its various subsidiaries. In fact, that's what it means to be a subsidiary, and we're going to see summaries of how the ownership is structured a little bit here. Square Enix Holdings doesn't own these companies directly necessarily. They are owned in various structures that they will also describe. They are saying that they're selling these companies in home. We're gonna get the cost of that uh, to Embracer Group in their press release, but suffice it to say, this is effectively Square Enix cashing out its Western publishing arm in some very important ways. I believe it will have some additional resources outside of Japan. Certainly people can fly things like that in terms of relationships and publishing other companies' stuff. Uh, but as a company making games outside of Japan, it really seems to be consolidating uh, to its core competencies, you might hear said in a business class. What did they say the purpose of the transaction is? They say the transaction will assist the company, that's Square Enix on the whole, in adapting to the changes underway in the global business environment by establishing a more efficient allocation of resources which will enhance corporate value by accelerating growth in the company's core businesses in the digital entertainment domain. Uh, and I just loved this document because it's such a business school type document. Suffice it to say that sentence uses a lot of words to say, we're gonna get out of the business of doing what we think we're less good at in order to allocate our resources to the business of what we think we are more good at. In addition, the transaction enables the launch of new businesses by moving forward with investments in fields, including blockchain, AI, and the cloud. 
Now we're gonna come back to this pretty significantly because I think there's a way to narratively read this transaction that some of you aren't necessarily gonna like if you're otherwise a big fan of Square Enix, but that is definitely a part of the story of the video game industry today in May of 2022. The move is based on the policy of business structure optimization that the company set forth under the medium-term business strategy unveiled on May 13th, 2021, so just about a year ago. The transaction will also provide an opportunity to better align our overseas publishing function with our organization in Tokyo, revisit the current governance structure and associated reporting lines, and advance integrated group management with the goal of maximizing the worldwide revenue generated from future titles launched by the group studios in Japan and abroad. Again, same basic concept here. It sounds to me like Square Enix is saying there was some stuff we weren't doing as well, and we were letting the stuff that we do do well kind of meander about. And we want to put our resources more towards what we do well rather than kind of publishing all this other stuff. And I think there's a story we can tell there in just a minute as soon as we get done with this section. Going forward, the company's development function will comprise its studios in Japan, Square Enix External Studios, and the Square Enix Collective. The company's overseas studios will continue to publish franchises such as Just Cause, Outriders, and Life is Strange. So they'll still have publishing functions for what we might consider Western gaming, but they're overall getting out of huge swaths of making those Western games on their own, including, as we saw referenced, Deus Ex, Tomb Raider, the Legacy of Kane, which gets referenced in all these press releases, uh, which one, makes me happy, uh, but two, also will be interesting to see whether they follow up on uh, from all the references being made. Now, I promised you we would talk about this structurally, and I think that the way we can think about this on a structural level goes back, really, to the release of Marvel's Avengers. If you haven't followed this game, and, and maybe you already know of it from legend or internet references, Marvel's Avengers is a game that, by all rights, has an intellectual property brand that should have sold bushel loads. And frankly, it just didn't. It had enough sales to start out with, but it was framed as a game as a service and created a lot of problems for the developer, Crystal Dynamics, who has today been sold to the Embracer Group. And I did a video on this because Square Enix actually talked about it pretty frankly. If we look back at November of 2021, you get headlines like this in VGC. Square Enix claims Crystal Dynamics was the wrong fit for disappointing Marvel's Avengers. Now, in that video, I actually said this is maybe a touch too harsh for what was actually said. But what was said is this. Marvel's Avengers was an ambitious title for us in that we took on the games-as-a-service model. We overcame a variety of unexpected difficulties in the final phase of the game's development, including needing to transition to work from home due to the pandemic. We were able to surmount these challenges and release the game, but it has unfortunately not proven as successful as we would have liked. Nonetheless, taking on the gas model highlighted issues that we are likely to face in future game development, such as the need to select game designs that mesh with the unique attributes and tastes of our studios and development teams. While the new challenge that we tackled with this title produced a disappointing outcome, we are certain that the gas approach will grow in importance as gaming becomes more service-oriented. How we go about creating new experiences by incorporating this trend into our game design is a key question that we will need to answer going forward. So, with that framework, 
As of the end of last year, Square Enix has laid its cards on the table. We believe gas is the future. We believe that's the best way to make money. We believe that maybe the studios that we have in hand aren't the best studios to actually realize that future. Crystal Dynamics is a poor fit for making a game like Marvel's Avengers, and I don't really think that's any slight to them. Crystal Dynamics has been around for a long time and has made some of my favorite games. I have loved a lot of Crystal Dynamics output, but Square Enix isn't wrong in suggesting that what they did with the Avengers wasn't that impressive, wasn't really on the cutting edge of live service games, really wasn't on any edge, if we're being honest, and Square Enix basically was saying as of November of last year, that's not where we want to be. We don't want to be in the single player game excitement environment. We are seeing a future that involves games as a service, that involves things like, as they say, the blockchain, which is NFTs or quartz if you're Ubisoft and trying to rebrand, AI and the cloud. They want to move into technology. They want to move into live services. They want to move away from what Crystal Dynamics does well, which is effectively single player games, which might be one of the other reasons you see some company like Square Enix Montreal, like Eidos Montreal, getting sold as well, right? We didn't really hear the same kinds of things about Eidos in general, but they make Western games. They make games that frankly are fantastic. Guardians of the Galaxy on your screen right now was my game of the year last year unexpectedly, but it's a single player game and you've also heard echoes of them saying, well, maybe it didn't sell quite as well as we would have hoped. We saw Guardians of the Galaxy get put on Game Pass with some bounce to its success at that level, which is a kind of quasi-games-as-a-service uh, concept. You see Square Enix reacting to all these things and deciding to go in a different direction. They were the first AAA or quasi-AAA game to release on Game Pass on day one, after all, from a third party with Outriders. We saw that reference in their press release. So what you see here narratively is a company in Square Enix that sees a different future for gaming than what they were actually equipped to handle, at least with these studios. So as much as it might pain me to say, it looks like Square Enix is looking to invest quite heavily in the service model more than the single player experience model. And I say that that disappoints me primarily because Square Enix also owns my favorite brand in gaming, which is Final Fantasy and JRPGs in general. So we'll see if they start to incorporate this corporate bent towards live services games and whether or not we should be worried about that as well. But I think if we look at that context, we can see that Square Enix did this deal in order to say, we're not interested in pursuing what these companies are good at anymore. Now, you can see the summaries that I promised. I will, of course, link this in the description. You see Crystal Dynamics is owned by IDOS, where Square Enix says, hey, we indirectly own all of Crystal Dynamics because we also own all of IDOS. You see here IDOS is owned all uh, entirely by Square Enix Limited, uh, so they indirectly own 100% of shares of that company as well, and that's what's being sold. Primary IP to be divested is Tomb Raider, Deus Ex, Thief, and Legacy of Cain. And then they say, among others, which is interesting. In a document like this, they basically are saying they view the other brands as immaterial or else they would have to disclose them in this kind of document. Uh, but I am very interested in hearing what among others actually entails because the IP got moved along with the companies. Now you also note here, one of the things we note when we talk about transactions of any kind, this deal isn't done. Today was the signing date uh, for the deal, and it's expected to close. The actual transfer of these companies 
over to the Embracer Group sometime during July and September of 2022. Now that's the dry version. Embracer Group, spending the money, much more excited about all of this and actually gives a very fulsome press release here with a number of things to also tease out. Embracer Group AB has entered into an agreement to acquire the development studios Crystal Dynamics, IDOS Montreal, Square Enix Montreal, and a catalog of IPs including Tomb Raider, Deus Ex, Thief, Legacy of Cain, and more than 50 back catalog games from Square Enix Holdings Co. Limited. One wonders if those are associated with the companies they just bought or not. Don't ask me, we don't get more detail than that. In total, the acquisition includes 1,100 employees across three studios and eight global locations. The total purchase price amounts to USD 300 million on a cash and debt-free basis to be paid in full at closing. So if you were expecting this to be more expensive, because you're thinking, hey, Respawn sold for 400 some odd million, although Insomniac only sold for 200 some odd million, this is a $300 million transaction. And I know a number of you are already gonna ask me, why didn't Microsoft buy this company? Uh, as people are already asking me with rumors of Warner Brothers potentially divesting its Game Studios, which was originally going to be one of the videos I was doing this week, and I might still do it. And the answer to that is unknown. Certainly it takes two to tango. You don't know whether Square Enix was willing to sell to Microsoft, with whom it has to regularly negotiate deals for platform availability, exclusivity, and things of that nature. You don't know whether Microsoft was interested in buying Square Enix, whether it was a good fit for them or not. You do know that Microsoft spent a lot of money getting a Tomb Raider game developed by Crystal Dynamics, made exclusive for the company not too long ago. So one would think Microsoft would be interested and was a part of these conversations, and they probably were. But we also don't know whether or not they were willing to potentially sacrifice their position with the FTC, who is currently evaluating the Activision deal. Not to say spending $300 million and buying these developers would kill the Activision deal, but the more you kind of pile on while being reviewed by a government regulatory agency like the FTC, you are increasing the risk, at least on the margins, of potentially having that major, major deal, just under $70 billion, get overturned by a regulatory agency that sees you moving very fast on consolidation and improving your market position in the industry. So like the WB, like this company, Microsoft maybe doesn't want to upturn the apple cart while that big, 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 big deal is being evaluated at a government level. That's a short answer to why this might not have happened, but again, it does take two to tango, so you don't know what Square Enix was thinking on its side. Then we get some quotes. We are thrilled to welcome these studios into the Embracer Group. We recognize the fantastic IP, world-class creative talent, and track record of excellence that have been demonstrated time and again over the past decades. It has been a great pleasure meeting the leadership teams and discussing future plans for how they can realize their ambitions and become a great part of Embracer. And of course, that's the Embracer Group CEO talking. Then you get the Square Enix CEO. Embracer is the best kept secret in gaming, a massive decentralized collection of entrepreneurs whom we are thrilled to become a part of today. It is the perfect fit for our ambitions. Make high quality games with great people sustainably and grow our existing franchises to their best versions ever. Embracer allows us to forge new partnerships across all media to maximize our franchise's potential and live our dreams of making extraordinary entertainment. And I'm sorry I read these this way, but this is just the way quotes always come out uh, in press releases. And yeah, you should be happy about it. If you've agreed to sell your companies, if you've agreed to buy another party's companies, you should be excited about it on day one, or why are you even doing it? Now, Embracer does give us some background here that's pretty darn interesting. 
says the collection of studios represents a world-class creative team of 1,100 employees across three studios in eight global locations, including two of the most reputable AAA studios across the industry in Crystal Dynamics and Eidos Montreal. The acquisition brings a compelling pipeline of new installments from beloved franchises and original IPs, including a new Tomb Raider game. In fact, we just had reports of Crystal Dynamics diving deep into the Tomb Raider well once again. Embracer has been particularly impressed by the studio's rich portfolio of original IP, housing brands with proven global potential such as Tomb Raider and Deus Ex, as well as demonstrating the ability to create AAA games with large and growing fan bases. Now, this is an important piece of information as well, right? I said Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy was one of my favorite games last year, but that is a licensed-in bit of content. You have to work with Disney. You have to work with Marvel to make those games. So Embracer is rightly pointing out that Tomb Raider is a Crystal Dynamics IDOS original. Deus Ex, uh, the same, or at least for purposes of this conversation, both of those are at least now owned by those companies and don't re require in-licensing. They were actually made in different forms and formats. Uh, decades ago, uh, but that's all well and good. It doesn't involve negotiating with Disney. If you're buying a Warner Brothers studio, you're going to probably have to work with licensing their DC Comics stuff or whatever else might be made with by those companies uh, because of the kind of uh, fractured relationship that would have if they sell their game companies and not their comic book licenses along with it. So that presents other issues uh, as well, and those are avoided here as Embracer states in a way that they have shown that they like in the other acquisitions that they have made. They like to get things that are completely held by these game companies. They like to restore games or, or realize future sequels of games that seemingly are dormant. Uh, if you think of like Darksiders and what Embracer Group has done with that particular license. And they also like to fashion themselves as allowing these companies to decide what they want to do on their own. The portfolio of IP consists of iconic franchises appreciated by critics and players alike. For example, two original IPs, Tomb Raider and Deus Ex, have sold AAA units of 88 million for Tomb Raider and, and 12 million for Deus Ex. Don't, you don't want to sit them next to each other like that. Deus Ex, great franchise. 12 million, still a, a reasonable amount uh, for such a niche kind of product, product like uh, a simulation type game like Deus Ex, but it's, it's not 88 million. Embracer sees an opportunity to invest in these franchises as well as the additional acquired IPs such as Legacy of Kane, Thief, and other original franchises. Now, The Legacy of Kane is one of my old-school favorite franchises. It hasn't been around for a long, long time. It is ripe for a revival, in my opinion. Legacy of Kane had some of the best storytelling in video games very early on uh, for the history of this industry, and it's exactly the kind of thing that I could see Embracer bringing back and probably was motivating in part for this particular portfolio of intellectual property. Crystal Dynamics is actively working on several AAA projects, Embracer tells us, including the next mainline Tomb Raider game that will deliver next-generation storytelling and gameplay experiences. I always love that phraseology. What is next-generation storytelling? What does that mean in video games? I hope it's cool, uh, but I don't know what it means just reading something like this. Prior AAA releases include Thief 4, Deus Ex Human Revolution, and Shadow of the Tomb Raider. This is Eidos Montreal. The studio is working on a host of AAA projects, including both new releases from beloved franchises and original IP. So whatever they're working on, uh, Embracer is also excited about, and we will see how that goes. Because again, Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy, which was a fantastic effort from that team, apparently didn't make Square Enix too terribly happy. After closing this transaction, the US will be Embracer's number one country by number of game developers, and Canada will be number two. In total, post-pending closings, Embracer will have more than 14,000 employees. 
10,000 engaged game developers and 124 internal studios. Embracer as a whole is enormous, although it's worth noting that 10,000 game developers is pretty close to Activision being purchased by Microsoft on its own. So Embracer continues to collect these little parts and pieces to build the empire that they want to build uh, and not just kind of swallow these giant publishers. It's a different approach from a Microsoft and a very interesting one at that. This acquisition will bring additional scale to Embracer's current AAA segment, and Embracer will have one of the largest pipelines of PC console games content across the industry across all genres. Quantity, they are looking to have a big pipeline of releases. Currently, Embracer's development resources are fully utilized either by ongoing internal development projects or by projects financed by external publishers. Embracer's teams dedicated to work for higher services to external studios and publishers are also fully utilized across territories. So what Embracer is establishing here is that before this purchase, they were otherwise fully utilized. They were already done with what they could actually produce in their pipeline with the resources that they had at hand. And this reference to work for hire services is interesting, of course, because they're purchasing a company that is work for hire right now. Why the initiative hired Crystal Dynamics to help with Perfect Dark, says GamesBeat. And one thing that Microsoft is probably doing this morning, uh, as well as Crystal Dynamics, as well as Embracer, is seeing exactly what that contract looks like. How committed is Crystal Dynamics as a company to helping Microsoft finish Perfect Dark? What are the royalties that they get, if any, from doing that work for Microsoft? Does it make sense for them to continue to do it after Embracer buys them? A whole lot of questions are likely being asked at a number of these headquarters regarding that particular relationship because Perfect Dark, as we have said in this space, appears to have stalled in some important respects. And obviously, as a fan of the original Perfect Dark, I would love to see it continued. But this does raise questions now that Crystal Dynamics is, frankly, coming under new management. So that'll be worthwhile to follow as well. The lack of available resources in the industry, says Embracer, and demand for these services exceeds our available capacity. Through this acquisition, Embracer will augment its development capabilities, specifically within the AAA segment, which will provide opportunities to accelerate organic growth. Said another way, what's really interesting here, and we've seen this to some extent in the other consolidating transactions we have described in this space, the video game industry has a lot of dreams, a lot of ideas. It continues to grow. People continue to be willing to buy them, but there aren't enough people to make them right now. So there's a talent squeeze. And Embracer decided to answer that in part by buying an entire company, by buying a whole bunch of employees to help continue to increase their pipeline, or as they say, accelerate organic growth. Embracer believes there will be an increasingly strong demand for high quality content, including AAA single player games over the decade. And this probably should be highlighted in red because this to me is one of the big bullet points, right? We described at the top of this video, Square Enix says the future is games as a service. The future is AI. The future is blockchain. The future is all these things. The reason I named this Embracing the Future is because I love puns, of course, but because this is such an interesting divergence between these two companies. Embracer says we're buying Crystal Dynamics. We're buying IDOS because we believe there will be an appetite and a way to make money from selling AAA single-player games this next decade. And quite frankly, I agree more with Embracer Group than I do with Square Enix on this, although I don't blame any game publisher for going and seeking games-as-a-service money and seeing if they can do it well. I like those as well, but I love single-player narrative-driven games. So Embracer saying this does my heart well, and we'll see if they meet that particular 
obligation to deliver those products to people like me. Our approach is that quality comes first in games development, which is why we believe our decentralized operating model of empowering management teams while facilitating synergies positions Embracer for sustainable long-term success. I, there's so many corporate phrases uh, in both of these statements, but suffice it to say what this means, at least by my view of it, is that we want to have that soft-handed approach that Phil Spencer talks about at Microsoft. We want to let people do what they are otherwise doing. We're buying companies that otherwise already function that we give resources to. And then if a company happens to have something that works with another of our companies, that's fantastic. We're doing things more efficiently. We're facilitating synergies. Financial outlook, we firmly believe that the studios will excel under Embracer's operating model and ownership. Embracer's best case financial plan implies that the combined acquired companies will be break even or have a smaller operational earnings contribution to the upcoming two financial years driven mainly by sales of the back catalog titles. We think we can actually float this deal to some extent on the IP that we just bought and repackaging it and selling it out. This could change positively if the company decides to enter a deeper strategic relationship with one or more platforms around the upcoming pipeline, which is lawyer speak or corporate speak for, hey, maybe we sell some of these as an exclusive, right? Maybe we deal with Game Pass. Maybe we deal with Sony. Maybe we put some of these things out as an exclusive. Hey, we're working on a new Tomb Raider. Anybody interested? That could also help our bottom line. They also talk about getting a big new loan and that they have 10 billion SEK available to them after today's date with that new loan. So they are still ready and willing uh, to purchase additional participants in the market. And as I said before, they also note that this deal isn't closed until July and September of this year. And for those that are asking, hey, is there a regulatory issue here? It'll be looked at, it's more than $100 million, uh, but I wouldn't anticipate there being a regulatory issue here. Even with this number of employees, et cetera, you still aren't looking at a company that controls hardware, that controls cloud services, that has its own uh, subscription service or otherwise operates as one of the platform holders. You still see them building something that is smaller than the platform holders on the whole, et cetera, et cetera. So I wouldn't envision them to have as big of a problem as the Microsofts of the world trying to complete a $70 billion transaction. But as I said, it is Embrace the Future time. There's no bad day for transactions or covering them here in the video game industry. This is certainly not the end. How do you feel about all of this? I suspect at least some of you are starting to get a little twitchy about how many of these companies are joining one of these megalith corporations. And frankly, I don't blame you. I personally am a little twitchy about Square Enix basically saying, well, maybe we're not so interested in single player games anymore. And hopefully that doesn't extend to their JRPGs, which is their real core competency in my estimation. Uh, but we shall see. They're trying to get into that games as a service model and how that looks in the future will be certainly very interesting. This has been Virtually Gality for today. If you enjoy conversations about the business and law of video games and the news that you see and the acquisitions that we talk about, please consider supporting the channel at Utreon, or if you're not familiar with that platform, we also have support available at Patreon. Otherwise, just subscribing, telling your friends, sharing these videos around, having these conversations, every single little bit helps. If you caught this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching, and if you listen to it as a podcast, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.